We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, sometimes I sit down and I start preparing for a sermon, usually on Monday. I read the text, and sometimes I get really excited about what I get to preach that week. And that did not happen this week, okay? At least not at first, okay? It was a real challenge for me as I read through this text to figure out what to do with it. And so, yeah, it was, it was difficult. I'm just going to be honest with you. But when I got into it, the more I started writing and thinking and praying, um, I ended up realizing there's a real simple beauty in this text And so, by the end of the week, I actually was excited uh, to preach it. So, here goes, all right, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So this starts out as an instruction from Paul to Timothy about how Timothy should conduct himself as he ministers to people in the local church. He says, Timothy, we're a family, and we should relate to one another with care and concern and the type of respect that we would show to our family members. He uses the word fathers and brothers and mothers and sisters to explain these relationships. He adds, in particular, with the younger women, he says, in all purity, to suggest that this this closeness, this familial relationship, is, uh, is going to set an appropriate boundary, right? as he's relating to especially younger women in the church. So she's a sister, Timothy. Treat her like a sister, right? Now Paul teaches uh, about how the church should care for widows, and that's actually going to be our main focus today. So verse 3 says, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." Let's pause here. So let me start by saying that God obviously wants to be known as a God who cares for widows. He wants to be known, I think, 
And it's obvious because you can see it first in the ministry of Jesus. The Gospels record for us many different situations where Jesus is interacting with widows. We see it all over the New Testament. We see it in pretty much every Bible writer has something to say about how the church should care for widows. But God is especially vocal about this in the Old Testament. So I want you to look at a couple of places that this is true. First of all, Exodus 22, verse 22 to 24, He says, "...you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to Me, I will surely hear their cry." And my wrath will burn, he says, and I will kill you with the sword. Wow. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Now listen, those are strong words, right? God's not backing down on this issue. This is big, heavy stuff. I mean, listen to how... God describes Himself in Psalm 68, verse 5. He says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. This is how God is describing Himself. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 tells God's people, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression... Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And then finally, James, this is in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 1. Uh, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, that's just a, a few. There's a lot, lot more than this. And it's obvious to me that this is a big deal to God. In fact, the word widow appears in the Bible more than a hundred times, which is almost as many times as the words mercy and grace, believe it or not. So that's... Those are pretty important words, right? So God obviously cares about widows. But what's interesting is, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul is suggesting here that there are some families, and maybe even some of these widows, who are abusing the system. Paul seems to be saying that not every widow is equally needy. And so he gives instructions to the church on how they're supposed to handle these various cases. So this is especially helpful to deacons in the church because this is part of their unique ministry. This is why deacons were actually invented by the apostles, right? Was to do this sort of work. But Paul's primary concern here is widows who have children and grandchildren who are old enough to provide for them. So in context, in the Roman world, they had, the Romans had laws in place to govern 
how widows should be cared for. So when a woman was married in that culture, she would take a dowry with her, which we don't do this anymore, but some cultures do, but there would be a payment that the, that the new wife would take with her that was actually money that was given from her father, some kind of resources from her father. And so if her husband died, that money wasn't for them to just spend on stuff. That money was there to preserve her in the case that her husband died, which was a common occurrence. And so there would be two options. If she had children old enough to manage her dowry, then she would stay in the family home and then her oldest son would manage the finances and make sure that she was cared for. Okay? Otherwise, she could return back to her parents' home and take the dowry back with her so that her family could care for her. Those were the two options. Now, what Paul is, is basically saying here is that even the pagans knew how to take care of vulnerable women. There were laws in place for this. And so the early church had, had rightly taken up the responsibility of caring for women who had no family and no dowry and no way to provide for themselves as they should because we just saw this is really important to God, right? So the early church was doing this, but what happens when the widow has a family but they're refusing to care for her. Paul says they are denying the faith by refusing to care for these women. And I think this is a challenge, not just to the Ephesian churches, but to our culture as well. Okay? And we need to think and talk about these things differently inside the church than the world talks about them. So, for instance, it's not really the responsibility of the state to care for our older family members, or at least we shouldn't be relying on that entirely, right? Especially in the church, we're talking about Christians, people that, that we're have, we have a responsibility. So, by extension, if he's talking about their physical family, but he's just called us brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, right? So you can't separate those two. We are the household. We are the ones who are supposed to provide for each other. So it's not the responsibility of somebody else to do this. We have a responsibility to make sure that the people in our local churches are cared for. And as a church, when we're considering the needs of a person, we should also consider what the family of the person is doing to help. And that's the check that Paul is providing here, is that we're, that we're involving other people in these decisions. Okay, so that's it. So verse 9, he gives a little more information. He says, Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. And then he explains, If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Okay? So, we think what it means to enroll widows is probably referring to that practice of the early church that they did have a system in place that the deacons probably managed to provide regular financial support for vulnerable women. 
But I want you to notice the qualifications that Paul gives. This is really interesting because if you go back and compare it to chapter 3, the qualifications that Paul gives sounds a lot like what he says about elders and deacons. Isn't that interesting? And so Paul is encouraging the church to only provide financially for widows who meet these qualifications. And my mind is kind of buzzing at this, right? Because it's like, that doesn't sound... It just sounds weird to us a little bit, doesn't it? Like, we don't just help anybody. He's giving specific qualifications here for how we should serve specific people. Over 60, meaning that she was probably unable to work or, or to get remarried, okay? And there's probably some hard cases that Paul's not discussing here, but he's, you know, d- disabled people, things like that. But he's just kind of saying, in general, she'd be over 60, one husband, good reputation. She's used her gifts to serve the church. She's been generous herself, right? So in other words, Paul is saying, do not provide ongoing financial support to everyone regardless, right? There are qualifications here. Then he continues. This gets even more weird, okay? Bear with me. Verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows... For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, what we just read is a notoriously confusing text. There's a lot of different commentaries on it and trying to explain and describe. And you know, What in the world does this mean? It sounds really harsh, right? So we could summarize what Paul seems to be saying is young widows make terrible widows. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. They're just not good for the church, so they should just go ahead and remarry. The church should certainly not be providing for them financially. And listen, I know that this sounds pretty harsh by itself, okay? But what do we do, especially with verse 12 and verse 14 side by side? Because Paul says, a young woman's desire to remarry brings condemnation because she's abandoning her faith. But then in verse 14, Paul explicitly says, but they should go ahead and get married anyway. All right? You see how this is a difficult one for me to figure out. So there's a few different ways to interpret this. It's possible that verse 12 is referring to a specific pledge that these women made 
after their husbands died that they were going to remain widows and serve the church. But Paul is saying practically they don't usually keep it. Okay? So instead, you should just go ahead and get married. Like we all know that's what you want to do, just go do that. Okay. That, might be the, that might be what he's saying. More likely, and this is probably where I am, he's saying that the cares of this world tend to become more important than their devotion to Christ. And so in order to protect your reputation and the reputation of the church, let's just go ahead and get married. Okay? If you put that with everything else Paul says about singleness and marriage, you know, like he's saying, I would, would like for you to stay single if you can, but, you know, as a concession, go ahead and get married, right? Now, however you choose, and you can do your own research on this and study, and I would always tell you, if you're, if you're confused, please do that. Please read, please study. Come talk to me if we can discuss it together, that's fine. This is a, this is a tough one. I'm not giving you a concrete, this is how it should be, interpretation, okay? But either way, however you choose to interpret this, Paul gives the church here some, some pretty clear guidelines on who they should be giving money to. And his answer is widows who really need the help. Now, by extension, you can apply this wisdom to anyone that the church considers helping financially. Wisdom seeks a balance between compassion and poor stewardship. Okay? So we're trying to figure out how to balance those things. Um, and so in many cases, uh, and there, there's some great resources that I can point you to in terms of how churches ought to engage in this type of ministry. In many cases, giving money does more harm than good if that's all you're doing. And that seems to be exactly the concern of Paul in this particular situation. It's like, don't just give money Let's look at the situation, right? Let's consider what's, all of what's going on here. But there is a greater context to this chapter that I don't want you to miss. Because admittedly, some of what Paul seems to be saying here, it sounds really harsh to our ears. It sounds insensitive. But I want you to remember this context, okay? So... If the Holy Spirit is at work in the local church, like we believe He is, if God is at work in our midst, if the people of God are worshiping Jesus together and serving together and caring for one another and living these open lives of faith and repentance together, then that's all happening in the context of a really complex web of relationships. And that makes sense because what Paul basically says here is this is basically we're, we're a large extended family, right? Think of each other as fathers and brothers and mothers and sisters. And so what Paul is doing here is he's trying to help Timothy and other church leaders protect that balance. A balance of healthy familial relationships. And some of this sounds weird to us because we are so individualistic as a culture. We tend to only think about our needs. 
or we think of our responsibility to be charitable as only giving money to a problem and not actually getting engaged with the person. So there's a learning curve here for us because of our culture to really understand the greater context of what relationships ought to be like in the church. And I want to challenge us with that. This is, you know, we would read this and we would just kind of check the box of give money to this person, don't give money to that person. But there's a much deeper, bigger context here. A few weeks ago, um, I read about an 85-year study. This, I saw this at just like neon lights. I was like, I got to read this article. Okay, so it's an 85-year study that was recently published by Harvard University. So they've had several generations of professors and students working on this because nobody's alive that started it, okay? What they did was 85 years ago, they identified um, a bunch of people. And by the end of the study, they, they had kept up with 724 people. So they gathered the health records from all these individuals. They're from all over the world. They live in all different contexts, cultures, okay? And they've been, every two years, for 85 years, every two years, the researchers have been asking detailed questions about the lives of these people until they died. And what they were trying to answer was one simple question. What makes people happy in life? Isn't that interesting? Okay. So contrary to what you might think, their conclusion was not success or money or exercise or a healthy diet. None of that stuff ranked very high. This 85-year study concluded that positive relationships make us happier, healthier, and help people live longer. That's what, that's what the study concluded. And they, they called it social fitness. Okay, So the happiest people were the ones who had the healthiest relationships, period. The most socially fit people were the people that answered the questions that they were happier that they, and they lived longer. I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool study. And that makes perfect sense from a Christian worldview because we believe that we were created by a relational God. We believe that our Savior, Jesus, spent most of his earthly years in a normal family with a mom and dad, and siblings. And guess what? He attended church every week. He lived in a small town. Probably knew everybody. And even when he began his earthly ministry as a rabbi, he had close friends. He had closer friends. He demonstrated for us what real relationships looked like. He demonstrated a gift for making outsiders feel noticed and welcome in his community. And for the past 2,000 years, Christians believe that Jesus has been actively building a community of people 
from all walks of life. He calls it the church. And God's vision for the local church is that we function like an extended family. And that's the context of 1 Timothy 5. So what we're reading from an outside looking in is is an internal family discussion between an apostle and a church leader in that local church, but of course it applies to us, right? And we ought to have these kinds of internal family discussions, right? What's, What's really being said here is that the church needs widows as much as it also needs elders and deacons. The church needs moms and dads and children and teenagers. It needs old people and young people. It needs a community of of single and married and haves and have-nots and we are blessed to have more than one culture and, and language in this room. And, and that's a beautiful thing, right? And so, don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. There are technical instructions about how to care for widows, but that happens under a big picture of a community of faith, a community of Jesus, a group of people who are one in Christ. And listen, sometimes we get lost in the day-to-day of our relationships, right? The the ups and the downs, the problems. You've got that stuff going on in your life outside of this room. At work, at school, your family, your extended, your friends, okay? And there are ups and downs, there are problems. Well, guess what? That's also true in the church, And if you've ever been a part of a church for very long, you know, we're a mess, right? (laughs) There is no perfect church. This this is a a Billy Graham summary of a Charles Spurgeon quote. He says, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Right? There's no such thing as a perfect church. But there's beauty in this mess, as they say, right? Ordinary people doing ordinary things together things that go completely unnoticed by the world, things like bringing up children together, showing hospitality, and washing one another's feet, and caring for the afflicted. All the things that Paul says, that's what good widows do. And we need them. We need people to be doing these things in our midst. And Jesus sees it. And Jesus loves it. This is what He died for. We are who He died for. The church was a widow for three days. But God raised our bridegroom from the dead. He is alive. He cares deeply for His church. He is the head of the church. He is the king. May we love one another as Christ has loved His church. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
Um, I pray that this text would encourage us to think of one another as family. And as any family, there are there, there are difficulties, there are barriers, there are struggles. Uh, we are sinful, each and every one of us in this room um, is insufficient to create the kind of community that you've called us to. We desperately need you and your spirit to be at work in our midst. We pray that you would help us to be a generous church, a compassionate church, also good stewards not just of money, but of relationships. We would see our responsibility as, as love, and that's not just doing whatever a person wants us to do, but that we genuinely care about truth and compassion together. Lord, help us to know what that means for us and how we can better serve this church, this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 